Hey there, .NET Rocks listeners. If you couldn't make it to London this year for NSBCon, the very first conference all about N-ServiceBus, we have some good news for you. NSBCon is coming to New York City September 29th and 30th. That's right, two full days of sessions on distributed systems development from top speakers like Udi Dahan, Oren Eni, Ted Neward, and... .NET Rocks is going to be there, too. Not only that, but we have a deal for you. Register before July 31st and get two days of video from Udi Dahan's course free. These videos will teach you about messaging patterns, where and when to use buses and brokers, and the right way to go about service-oriented architecture. These videos usually cost over $1,000, but we oh-so-gently twisted Udi's arm so you, our loyal listeners, can get access to the very best, but only if you register before July 31st. So join Richard and me at NSBCon and take your development skills to a whole new level. Go to NSBConNYC.com and register today. .NET Rocks, Episode 1009, with guests Jason and Brian Creasel. Recorded Thursday, July 3rd, 2014. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and uh, we've got some serious Amazon fire going on here in a minute. But, hey, Richard, what's up with you in your world? I uh, had a little flood, a little flood. What? Not the fish tank caliber flood. No 125 gallons of salt water. Just a shower sprinkler head stuck over the side of the tub, leaking a bit. That now I have water stains in my ceiling in my office. Oh, woohoo! Oh, that sucks. Oh, uh, well, it happens. Yeah, yeah. This is your second flood. It's just, it's a little one. It's mine. Just a little flood. The funny part is that all, all the ceilings in the basement are damaged in some way. Yeah. This was the only one that wasn't. Now it is too. So it's like I have an excuse to replace all the ceilings. Well, just be thankful that it wasn't the fish tank. Yep. No fish tanks around here anymore. And it didn't flood over hardware or in their server closet either. I have a really cool device for Better Know Framework that I think changes a few things. So Ooh. roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, go to tinyurl.com slash asusvivo300. The 300 is the price. Asus Vivo 300. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a $300 Windows 8 PC, and it's the size of a Mac Mini, which wow. is twice as expensive. For 300 bucks, That's amazing. 500 gig hard drive, 4 gig RAM, Celeron CPU, dual core. Yeah, I'd want to put an SSD in it, but then I'm an SSD junkie. But think about what this is. And I, I don't know if I just haven't looked around and seen. I, I have been looking around. I haven't seen anything this cheap, this powerful in the PC world. Yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of Android devices that are, you know, this big or smaller that are 199 bucks for another $100. Sure. You get this. Now, what does that do? What does that do to the market for? You sort of, now, you know, we're getting to this place where you, you don't care about the individual machine you have lots of them they're everywhere well you know i'm i'm thinking about you know media pcs and all that kind of stuff and things that you would software that you would write for a customer that's going to attach to televisions or, right. or pcs or things like that and it makes the platform a little more desirable when yeah. you can write it in wpf or silverlight 
instead of uh, HTML JavaScript, you know, because you want to run on a low-cost hardware. Yeah, this is pretty low-cost hardware. It's hard, hard to argue with that. This is, it looks basically like tablet hardware in a little chassis. Yeah. You remember those little miniature machines I used for my my rollaway bag, the, the portable data center? Yeah, the A-Open machines. Those were a 1000 bucks each. Yep, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And this is 300 bucks. Yeah. Nice one, dude. Thanks. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, and so I bought one. Yeah, of course you did. And it works great. Yeah, it works awesome. And I specifically bought it for that purpose. I have a client that wants some, you know, stuff for media connected to a TV. And uh, we were using an Android box and I was writing stuff in JavaScript and HTML. And you know what that's like. Yep. (laughs) It almost works. Sometimes it works. Took me months to get something that didn't quite work. And, uh, and I rewrote it in Silverlight in about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And they're much more happy. Uh, yeah. There you go. The app does what it's supposed to do. And they're not complaining about a $1,000 PC sitting next to their TV. Right. You know, it's just this little box. Yeah. 300 bucks is enough. They just don't care. Yeah. Love it. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 994. And that's the one we did with Chris Hardy, where we were talking about the latest version of Xamarin. All right. Which I thought would be quite relevant considering our conversation today. This comment comes from Dwayne Newman. He says, this was a very timely show for me. We are just moving into the mobile space and have been evaluating the different technologies out there. As a developer living primarily in the .NET space for over a decade, I've not been excited about throwing my deep platform knowledge away just to get into mobile with native apps. I've been watching this project since the mono touch days, and I'm very pleased with where Xamarin is headed. As a small company getting ready to develop some standard line of business type apps, we're obviously concerned about the duplicate efforts of rebuilding and rewiring what should be basic UIs for our apps. I was hoping that Xamarin was investing some effort into a unified UI model as the Cordova-based solutions were not appealing. Does this sound familiar to you, buddy? Mm, yeah. Of course, there are situations where you just need to do something native, but when you don't have to, it's nice to have a simple choice. Since I've spent a lot of time in XAML with WPF, I was happy to see that the Xamarin approach used XAML as a base for forms. Its ability to express your UI and bind data totally separated from your code is perfect for this kind of common UI approach. And I appreciated Carl's comments on his recent development experiences trying out Xamarin.forms and the heads up on the pain I'm about to feel with the Android world. Mm. I wish the other players could get things as nice for developers as Microsoft does. Yeah. I've switched from iOS to WinPhone 8 last year, and I've not looked back despite missing a few apps. I've not owned an Android, but every time I've played with one, I've never been excited. (laughs) I would hate to have to switch to any other phone OS at this point. So a WinPhone believer. I also wanted to say that James Montemagno's show, which is 976 from a couple of months ago, was also excellent and has helped point us in the right direction. And that's from Dwayne Newman. Dwayne. Yeah. Great comment. Yeah, and it just, you know, I'm thinking about Xamarin on other platforms, too. You know, I keep talking about the three, but there are more. And uh, certainly, it's something to watch, is to see what else gets supported. So, Dwayne, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us, Richard, to our guests today. Jason Kriesel is co-founder of Chopstick Software, LLC. He's worked across multiple industries spanning automotive testing, electronics manufacturing, healthcare, aerospace, and defense. He's currently an associate with the Kinney Group, that's K-I-N-I, 
thekinneygroup.com. He graduated from University of Michigan with a degree in computer science and engineering and an MBA from the McCombs School of Business at the University of Texas, Austin. He has experience in C, C++, .NET, and Java. Brother Brian Creasel is the co-founder of Chopstick Software, LLC. He graduated from University of Michigan with a degree in computer engineering in 2003. He's been a .NET developer ever since .NET 1.1, currently a .NET developer and technical liaison for Haggerty Insurance Agency at haggerty.com, H-A-G-E-R-T-Y. Beyond making Android apps, Brian enjoys reading his dog, kettle chess, poker, and good food. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? No, how's it going? That was you, Brian, right? Yeah, that was yep. me. And Jason, hi. Hi, I'm still, can you still hear me? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. Oh, great. Yep, you guys are both here through the magic of Skype. I remember Wonderful. back in the day, you'd have an IRC chat room and record the show live. Wow, you have been a .NET developer for a long time and a listener. I have. We, that's right. We did. We had an IRC chat room when we were recording the show. And that, I think we gave it up because it was too distracting. There's just so much. So Sometimes many. you had a, a guest, and I'm thinking of Kim Tripp, yeah. who would focus more on the chat room than the conversation. Right. It's like, hey, <laughs> hey, come back to us. But the other thing that happened is we started making a lot more shows. Yeah. And just from a practicality point of view, you know, sometimes we record three or four shows in a day. And how much streaming can you do? Yeah. I think if we did it again, we'd probably stream ourselves video and not have any chat. Just just stream it. And yeah, if people wanted to communicate with us, they could tweet us or something. Yeah. But it's a thought. Yeah. That's the old times. All right, guys. Let's uh let's talk Android. Let's talk fire. I have, first of all, um, uh, before we even get into it, I want to address the listener who sent in the, the email here. I have an Android phone, uh, and I have a Windows phone. I used to have an iPhone, and I really liked the simplicity of it, and that's the reason I love the Windows phone. I have an icon, a Lumia icon for on the Verizon platform, and I've got a uh, Samsung Galaxy S5. And I agree with that person that the, the Samsung version of Android anyway has so many blinky lights and distractions and, and oops, I'm in the wrong place. And where did that app come from experiences that, and it's difficult to navigate. I, I long for the simplicity of the windows phone or, or iPhone after I use this for just five minutes. And I, I think that's an interesting point because that's one of the things that differentiates the Kindle fire platform from other Android devices because they took complete control over the Android OS yeah. and built, you know, built everything on top of it. So they don't use the Google services. They don't use Google play, but it just provides a much smoother, a much cleaner experience than you see on a lot of the other Android devices. I have to agree. I have a Kindle fire and it does have that sparse look to it. And just, yeah, only the necessary things are on the screen. And it's evolved a lot. The first version um, ran on Android 2.2, and you could just tell there are times when it, it it's a little bit slower. It doesn't. It's not quite as smooth. Um, but on the Kindle Fire HDX, it's really the 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 first version that you look at and go, "Hey, this could really compete with an iPad." Yeah. Because it is that quick and it, it's that fluid and it, it performs very well. Brian, you guys are both working on this uh, the the Fire on Fire apps with. Uh with Amazon or for Amazon or just for your own thing or what? Well, you have our own LLC, but 
I just wanted to learn something in Android. And if I'm going to learn something, I might as well build something useful. Yeah. So, so I was realizing on the first Android, it didn't handle images very well. And if I was going to charge it, I kind of wanted just like images to stream in the background while it was charging. Yeah. So we, our first app we did was called Fireframe, and it is just a simple digital picture frame. And each release afterwards, after the we released, we supported a new service. So now we support Flickr, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Picasa. And this is just straight up Java programming for you guys? Absolutely. Wow, that's great. So what's the difference between the Kindle Fire and the Amazon Fire OS? devices like the phone that's coming out so the um the original kindles ran on different flavors of android um the big difference for the fire os is that they've added additional sdks to support things like the dynamic perspective okay so there's additional sdks on top of stock android and what's a dynamic perspective so on the fire phone they put four front-facing cameras and those four front-facing cameras uh track the user's face and head and the dynamic perspective i I haven't personally used it um but it allows for like if you're looking at your phone and you tilt your head to the right or the left it allows for a certain amount of perspective to be shown in the app and amazon um does specific things to attract developers to support their sdks so for dynamic perspective specifically, if you port your app to the Fire OS, they'll give you um, 500,000 promotional coins. And so they'll give you kind of a promotional token to promote your app, but also to use their SDKs. So you would say maybe the Fire OS is just an evolution of the version of Android that was running on the Fire. Would you say that? Is that what it's based on? I don't know. It's just kind of Amazon's way of providing extra value on top of Android. It is, It is. in fact, a fork of Android. Yeah. Um, so it, it really is Amazon forking Android and then adding on the necessary things that they see pertinent for their platform and for their users so that you can get that clean experience that you get with the Kindle Fire. And obviously, Amazon is adding things to hook into you know, their store or adding Firefly, which is the ability to take a picture of something similar to how lots of other platforms have apps. Um, to look up products. So you can use their camera and use Firefly to like take a picture of uh, an Xbox game and then go look it up on Amazon.com. Now, they have upgraded their versions of Android e- anyway. Like you said, the original version was two, but they're mm-hmm. currently using four. I'm just wondering how far their fork's going to go that they may never be back onto the Android stack again. I, I think it's a very valid question and concern with the Amazon platform, but given how much they've invested in it, um, I think they're going to try to keep in lockstep with that API level. Uh, We haven't really experienced a lot of issues as a result of the Amazon fork. The bigger issues we have is just um, the heap size. The heap size for Android 2.2 is usually capped at 24 meg, but it's device specific. And so depending on the density of the screen, it can range from 16 meg to 48 meg. And wow. you can imagine if you're, you know, loading full screen images like we are in this digital slideshow, memory issues are, are rampant and you mm. have to keep track of and make sure that you're freeing everything appropriately. And in fact, one of the odd things, quirky things about Android 2.2 is that images are not allocated in the virtual machine, in the Java virtual machine, they're a- allocated natively. 
So you can actually run out of memory on your native stack and you won't get a garbage collection. Mm, <laughs> nice. That was the question I was going to ask. It's like, you're programming in Java. Aren't they supposed to manage memory for you? What's going on? <laughs> well, and, 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 you'll, and, and I'm sure you, you realize this. Um, it's really, in my, from my perspective, I'd rather have either complete control of memory or garbage collected memory. Right. What you had yeah. in 2.2 is both. Yeah. And so you had to spend a lot of time uh, making sure that you were you're handling images correctly. Ugh. And 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 you can imagine we heard of a talk in Boston where there was an Android developer that had about a hundred slide deck of how you handle images in that version of Android because <laughs> because it's it's tricky, right? And so um, we've spent I know I personally have spent a, a tremendous amount of time dealing with issues around either an image flickers differently than we expect or we're using too much memory. Um, and and it's, uh, it's something that, you know, is obviously an, uh, something we've had to overcome. Now, we've stayed on Android 2.2 for Fireframe simply because we wanted to continue to support the original Kindle. Right. Um, mm. but, but with our port to, we're working on a port to the Fire TV, um, which went remarkably well. I mean, the app basically ran when we put it on, on the Fire TV. Obviously, things like the UI, you know, you're, you're dealing with a remote versus touch are dramatically different. Um, but it, you know, it, everything on the back end ha has worked, um, and we're touching up the front end for that. And so that's one of the powers of Android is it does work on these kind of multiple devices, but you have to test it on everything. Right. Can I just reiterate something I said earlier? Uh, an app that uh, took me months to develop an hour in Silverlight. Done. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's just, it, it, we're spoiled, you know? We're, .NET developers are just spoiled. Going to completely agree. Yeah. There, there have been so many times we talk about missing Visual Studio. Yeah. You know? And, and I know .NET developers complain. I mean, I complained about, dot, about Visual Studio when I was doing a lot of .NET development. <laughs> but once it's gone, <laughs> you, you miss it. <laughs> the only thing worse than Visual Studio is every other development it's, platform. Right. <laughs> so true. Um, oh, man. my it, God. But when you're developing for Fire, what are you working in? Is it Eclipse? Yeah, we're, we're working yeah. in Eclipse. Google did release a new, their new IDE. But uh, we haven't uh, migrated over to it yet. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it, supposedly it's pretty good. I mean, they, they meant to compete with Visual Studio in some way. I haven't seen it, of course, but I heard the specs on it and it looked pretty good. I don't know. It's called Android Studio and it was based off IntelliJ's IDEA Java IDE. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got nothing bad to say about IntelliJ. You nope. know, the guys over there do good work. What are the other gotchas? I mean, the, this uh, version of Android can lead to a path of destruction but what are some other issues that you run into that you maybe didn't expect well you can't compare a string well you have to use the equals method to compare strings in java there is a if you just compare two string objects they compare their memory locations and not the actual contents of the string nice <laughs> <laughs> i love that how you know and you just summarized how many days of fussing yeah yeah. Oh man, that's oh, that's man. that's a good one. What's the how um, did you how did you figure that out? I mean, like what what was the manifestation of that? I don't know. You do have a debugger and you can look at the contents of each string and then you can step through it and say and those aren't comparing and you can eventually figure out why. No, I just want to know like what was the symptom your app was having that caused you to scratch your head and say, "Well, my code looks fine. I don't know what's going on here." And then To be honest, I'm not sure, yeah. but it 
but it was probably something completely unrelated. Oh, I'm it, sure. Yeah. It, it, it had to do with the, it had to have had to do with the Google Picasa API, Brian. Well, the yeah. hours we spent trying to get that to work. <laughs> no, the OAuth protocol is kind of the bane of our existence too, because each of the different, you would think that they would all be somewhat the same, but each service implements it slightly differently. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we've done a whole bunch on Run As Radio around the magic that is OAuth 2 and how frustrating it can be. And yeah, everybody's done it a little bit different. And, and of course, when we're doing it, you think you've done it three times. How hard could the fourth be, right? <laughs> uh, uh, now, you're hang- the only reason you're hanging on a 2.2 is to keep the original Fire uh, market available to you. I just got to wonder how much simpler stuff would be if you stepped up to four and how much market you're giving away. Do we know how many of these devices are out there? So what's what's interesting about that is when we um, target Android 2.2, the, the app will run on Android 4. Right. So we'll support the original Kindle Fire. Um, 2.2 is kind of the, the major release point where lots of devices start to use Android. Um, the next level we would jump to is Android 4. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know that we necessarily lose that many. We lose features. I mean, because they're obviously they've been adding to the platform, um, you know, continuously over the last few years. For us to move, it's actually a fairly clean migration path because what we can do in the Amazon Store is target a, what's called a .apk file, the application files for Android. We could target the APK files and say. This APK is for 2.2 to 3, and this APK is for 3.0 and above. Right. Um, we've, we've just chosen not to do that because we haven't had any features that have, have warranted it yet. It's just the feature set. It's not simplicity development or anything like that. Like, i got to think string compares a little better in Android 4. Well, that's a Java feature, so you, you still... It's the same. In- oh. Yeah, yeah that, that particular issue is the same. They are coming out with a new... Uh, Android runtime as part of the Android L. Um, I'm not all that familiar with it, but the Android runtime is it's basically like changing the it's going from and I'm going to butcher the name. It's it, it's Dalvik, the, uh, the the current one. And then they're coming out with a new one that I'm assuming will take care of things like they're not using the flyweight pattern for strings and stuff like that. So here's a question for you. You guys are obviously .NET developers for a long, long time and then dove into Java. You know you can write Android code, uh, Android apps in C Sharp. If we were going to start over again, we would totally start with Xamarin. And it just wasn't quite as baked when we started. So uh, we... You know, that's a really good reason. You're excused. Well. <laughs> no. no, you're right, because you can't, go, you can't do it now. You, you've got too much code written. Or do you? Hmm. You know, it, it's it's an interesting question. If we were going to port to, say, the iOS, which is a question we get periodically, um, we would seriously look at Xamarin as the as the way to get on the iOS, and then you know from there migrate that that code base to Android. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting point. Because in the end, you guys are not Fire developers so much as you are tablet developers, and you should include as many tablets as you can that make sense for the marketplace. That's correct. And I guess yeah, the next logical thing after Fire for you, would, why did you choose Fire in the first place? Why didn't you just start with iPad? Well, I had a Kindle. Okay. There is 900 million device activations last year for Android. So mm. Android's a pretty big platform. For sure. It's the biggest. And I think it also goes to, um, if you think about what the app does, the Fireframe Digital Picture Frame, the iOS has kind of a built-in slideshow. 
um, the Kindle really didn't support photos right out of the gate. And so the first one, it, it had this form factor. that's like, you know, that would work really well for a digital picture frame. And so we, we went down that path. Um, we also, and, and I don't, uh, Brian, I, I think is, is also in this boat. We also just believe in the way Amazon is approaching the tablet market. Yeah. You know, they really are, are taking this ecosystem approach of, you know, you have Amazon Prime with free music streaming, with free video streaming, um, and they're trying to leverage that with their app store to create this kind of environment where you can easily develop an app and get it out to a lot of people and not have to worry about having, you know, a different set of bugs on five different devices. Right. And so that, that, that to us, now we do release Fireframe on the Google Play Store. But the vast majority of our downloads come from the Amazon App Store. Which, which makes total sense. My Amazon's built a wall, and I'm in that walled garden. We're all in that walled garden, right? My Kindle for reading, like I wouldn't, I don't even think about the fact that I'm buying books from Amazon each time I put a book on my Kindle. It just works so well, you forget. Oh, absolutely. There's an upside to a downside to that too. I mean, Amazon's been been pushing on the market pretty hard lately. Their their battle with certain book publishers and and uh, I guess we're going to end up diving into this Fire Phone, the whole Firefly thing, and the response that folks have had to that. It's it's interesting to be attached to that marketplace. The nice thing about the way their market system marketplace is set up is they can do things like what they call ASAP, their Advanced Streaming and Prediction right. System. And, you know, when it first came out, I, I, when I first got my Fire TV, I really just didn't expect that much from it. Mm, you know, they right. kind of touted it as, hey, it's this prediction thing. But when I use my Fire TV, I very rarely have to wait for anything to load. It just mm. works. Mm -hmm. And it, it just provides that seamless experience that it would be very difficult to do without having all the pieces that Amazon does. And this is the same thing that BlackBerry did back in the day when getting email on your phone was a big deal. Right, they had a walled garden approach to it that that allowed that to work. It's just a question of how long does that continue to make sense before it'll work everywhere. Given that we had enough bandwidth, any streaming solution should work. So this is a slideshow app, and um, it runs on any Android devices. I know there's a lot of these, you know, like Mini X little boxes that run Android that. Um, you can connect to a TV because I guess, you know, like a, a big monitor would be a, a, a nice thing for a picture frame. Um, but, you know, as opposed to a phone or a tablet. But um, d is it going to run on any Android device or only on Fire Android flavors? Well, we can we've considered porting to the Oya, which is the Android the Android device that was a video game console. And I got it up and running and we just haven't had time to time to finish it yet. And we've also considered porting to the Chromecast. But the Fire TV is just just our been our focus at the current moment. I downloaded it and ran it on my Galaxy S five. So it runs on the on that phone. Well I have an S three and it runs pretty good on the S three. But it was built for Fire OS. That's kind of strange. Well, it's built for Android, so we test. We have a number of devices that we tested on. Okay, so this isn't specifically targeting Fire OS. We certainly make sure it runs really well on the Fire OS, but we make we spend a little bit of time making sure it works for the general Android audience. The fragmentation issue with Android isn't as big as they like to make it out to be. Hmm. The fragmentation is, in my opinion, more about the heap sizes, 
where you know a developer doesn't realize that they only have 16 meg, right? And so if you've been testing on 24 meg and it's fine, and all of a sudden you go to 16, you're going to have problems. Interesting. So it's mostly about memory constraints, not UI changes. Well, at least for us, it was. Other people might have different experiences. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys are memory constrained. You're moving big images around. That's that's the thing to be worried about. So I, I'm still not clear on: is it a Fire app or is it an Android app in general? I mean, you're are you making calls to specific APIs in the Fire OS? So it, Brian, let, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. It's an Android app. I don't know. So let me let me clarify. So Amazon only began referring to the Fire OS at about the third iteration of the Kindle Fire tablets. Okay. So it's really, I mean, at, at the heart of all of the Fire OS is Android. Sure, I get that. But do they add things that you can't call if you want to work everywhere? They do have some specific SDKs, but they're things like Amazon Game Circle or the Amazon Ads API. So for those okay. things on the tablet, you can, and, and, and even those SDKs, a few of them they've ported, they've allowed you to use them on any, any Android device. Where you get yourself in trouble is if you're supporting the Google services. So if we were using Google Maps, we wouldn't be able to release our app to the Kindle Fire. I huh. see. That's interesting. Because up till now, I mean, the story started seeing the ladies, like if you're building for Android, you might as well also include Fire. It's a big market. Yeah, about 75% of Android apps will just work on the Fire OS. Okay. Wow. And so, I mean, it, they, do, they do keep things fairly close. Now, to, uh, to, uh, to your point, the Fire OS for the phone may be a bit different because of that dynamic um, perspective and Firefly. There's just more APIs. So there could be, it'd be pretty easy to develop something that would only work on the Fire OS in that environment. And what's the problem with Google Maps? It's just a policy thing with a Amazon? It is a policy thing with Amazon. It, it involves, and I'd have to get all the details. Um, yeah, they do not offer access to the Google Play or provide Google's proprietary apps or APIs such as Google Maps or Google Cloud Messaging. And it's, it's a licensing issue. Right. And they don't, yeah, they don't want you to pull Google Play into the fire. Like that's, that's the whole point, right? This is their own world and they want to keep it separate. You know, it, it is their own world, but from an app store perspective, they're fairly open. So, for example, the Fire TV has Netflix and Hulu, so you're not right. constrained to just the Amazon ecosystem. Um, but, you know, they're about selling books and music and videos, so I'm sure if you constrained on that, you'd have a problem. One of the things that we've always been um, a little disheartened about is we support all these photo services. We've always wanted to support the Amazon Cloud Photo, right? We're right. FireFrame, we're a digital picture frame on the Kindle Fire, mm. but their licensing won't allow us to, to hook into the, uh, the Cloud Photo. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Is it because they got their own app or did they, they, they – Why? The, they do have their own app, but I, I really don't think that's why. I think it's more just they um, they didn't want to have to deal with all of the headaches around having a third-party API. Hmm. Right, right. Hmm. So, <laughs> laziness on their part? Uh, we asked when they ran Fireframe as, the as part of the free app of the day promotions, we asked them, you know, is there any opportunity for us to support the cloud photo? And we're still waiting to hear back. Ah, uh, too bad. It's funny. Hey, Richard. Dude. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You know it. Time to unzip my Firefly and deal with a leaking stream. Ah, oh, jeez. That's, that's not right. You got to <laughs> take that back. <laughs> I'll be back in a few minutes. No, um, <laughs> no, it's actually time to give away a 
Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, supercharge your .NET productivity with Telerik DevCraft. This bundle includes over 420 UI controls for all .NET technologies, including ASP.NET AJAX, MVC, and WPF. Plus, you'll also receive Kendo UI, the HTML5 JavaScript framework, productivity, reporting, and debugging tools. Telerik DevCraft comes with three upgrades per year and Telerik's industry-leading support. Download your free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash DNR dash DevCraft. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Quintus Marius from South Africa. Congratulations, Quintus. Golf clap for you, sir. Quintus is very happy to have won a Telerik DevCraft collection. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. We'd like you to join, too. Every show, we give away something good, like the Telerik DevCraft Collection. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology that you say what you want to yes. one lucky member picked at random. And we'd like to ask our guests, guys, if you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy, Jason? Oh, I, I'd have to build a uh, autonomous quadcopter. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Have you have you guys played Top Golf? Are you familiar with what Top Golf is? Nope. No. So Top Golf is a it's a driving range chain here in uh, Dallas. And they put RFID chips in all the golf balls. <laughs> and then the range has targets. Nice. And so they have a game that's kind of like kind of like bowling to uh, and you can play different top golf variants and hit hit golf balls at targets. Wow. And so uh, one of the things I'd like to do is have an autonomous quadcopter but go then retrieve you your ball. Follow the balls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be Great. awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Pick up that signal and follow it. That's a good one. Don't let it hit you. Well, Brian, how about you? I want a Versa laser. A Versa laser? A Versa laser. It does fancy etching and things on. It's not quite as fancy as a 3D printer, but it you can print to other, like a back of an iPad or a back of a Kindle. Or, oh, neat. Yeah, and they're about the size of a, of a laser printer. They're, they're not huge devices. No, they could just plug them in just like to your computer, just like a normal printer. Kind of reminds me of those scribe CD burners. Yeah. What are they called again? Light scribe, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is cool, right? Yeah. It's not a huge amount of power, not too big, probably a couple of bucks. But uh, yeah, you could etch things. Just don't etch your dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd have a hard time getting him in there. Yeah. Much less getting a hold still. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's just wrong. Yeah. I, I take that back. Lord, I apologize. Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Oh, this is cool, man. Yep. I like this. I, I want one. <laughs> this is a gadget. I don't get surprised by gadgets very often, but there's one. All right. Should we dive into Firefly? Because there's kind of a controversy around this with the Fire Phone. Yes, we shall. And one of the big things I heard is that, um, you know, the media is complaining that if you buy this thing and you use it, you're essentially just Amazon's bitch. <laughs> you know you'll buy everything from amazon you they'll know everything about you and uh you know whether that's something you worry about or not i don't know but uh from their perspective it certainly is a brilliant move and it's it, the gee whiz factor of this phone being able to just take a picture of something and then you know 
say, I want it. I, I can imagine uh, retail stores being a little pissed off when you walk in, take, you know, look at the price of something and then take a picture of it with your phone and see that you can get it for about 20 bucks less on Amazon and walk out of the store without buying anything. You can do yeah. that now with any of your phones. Oh, I know you can. IPhone, it's just so. not quite as convenient as taking a picture and getting an answer. You know, it, it's interesting you, you bring up the controversy around it because it's it's one of the features when they released it that I felt was a little underwhelming. It's not something that I you know, just look at a phone and think, boy, I have to have Firefly. Hmm. You know, it, how, I mean, how often are you really going to, you know, pull out a bunch of books and take pictures of them? I, I just maybe I'm just the oddball in that, but I don't see myself using it that much. Well, what about that scenario, you know, where you're looking at something that in a store or in a magazine or something that you like? And um, are able to just pull it up on Amazon instantly, almost instantly anyway. Do you, do you think it's going to be that fast? I mean, it seems like just a Google search would be quicker. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. That, that's kind of where, um, where I'm at with it. Brian? I just, I don't know. I'd rather the phone wasn't tied to AT&T, but I don't know. I've never <laughs> had any real problems with that feature. So. Are we all terribly sick of the exclusive phone thing? Absolutely. The reason we can't get Nokia 930s right now in North America is because Verizon's got the exclusive with the icon, mm-hmm. and so nobody else can have a phone comparable until that exclusivity thing's in. And this AT&T thing with, fire, with uh, the Fire Phone, same problem. Like, this has to stop. Well, you know, it was enough to get me to go to the Verizon store and get a whole nother phone with a whole nother plan just so that I could have the icon. Yeah, you wanted one. I knew you wanted one. I love the phone. Yeah. You don't care about the carrier at all. No. You want the phone. And quite frankly, if I could get it without carrier service, that would be great. I would love this just as Wi-Fi because where I'm using it is all Wi-Fi rich and it's all about video and camera and um, basically it. So did did you see the controversy around the Fire TV screensaver bug that came out in the last few days? No, tell us. So um, they basically had an issue when you put the screensaver in mosaic mode where it didn't cache images. So then their Ooh. screensaver for the Fire TV could suck up about 80 gig of data a day. Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, and I can get you a link to it. There's, there's a link to it on one of the UK sites. Oh, my. It, it's, funny. It, it's funny when I was reading about this because I was noticing that my Fire TV wasn't turning off. So the Fire TV doesn't have an on and off button. It just goes to sleep. But there's one little light on the front. And I was noticing, boy, it's strange. It's not turning off. Normally it does. Um, so I have to wonder if maybe I was experiencing that where I had it set mosaic mode and I was hitting uh, AT&T for a bunch of data. Um, but it's um, but that's just kind of part of the Fire TV experience is that there isn't an on-off switch. And so you can imagine if you don't turn something off, it'll just run. And so it's one of the things that I know we're looking at with FireFrame is we have a feature to just automatic or to set it to turn off in like an hour. But we're still looking at kind of how we're going to release the first version for whether or not we'll include like a default where maybe it turns off after two hours or something. Uh, I'm reading this story from the Daily Mail on this. This guy named Tyler Hayes who's in California was complaining that he was consuming more than 60 gigs of data a day. Wow. And then he unplugs his Fire TV and it dropped to 20 gigs a day, which makes me, which, okay, so 40 gigs out of one device, without a doubt, outrageous. What the hell is he doing with the other 20 gigs a day? <laughs> <laughs> What's this guy up to exactly? Do we want to know? I mean. But, you know, we, you bring up a really co- interesting point, which is 
with this app model in general, I don't think it's specific to Amazon either. It's just like you don't know what's consuming data. It's very easy for a runaway app to blow through a ton of data. And surprise. It is something we're really conscious of with Fireframe because, yeah. you know, what, what differentiates us from just like a picture app on Android is we keep the screen on. So we don't allow the device to go to sleep because part of the app, you know, you're not necessarily going to be interacting with the app. Um, so we're really conscious of just how much data we're using for that reason. But there's nothing to stop a user from leaving our app on all day and consuming data. Now, do you cache images? Do you have your own caching system or do you use the, the system itself? We do to the extent that we have memory available, which isn't very much. Yeah. And so, for example, when we go to get the, the Facebook news feed, we'll cache the news feed for about 15 minutes before we go and check again. Um, but we are going to go check again. And so one of the features we put in is something we call a one-way sync. So that if you don't have an internet connection and you're synced with, say, Flickr, you still have your images on your device because we're storing them. Um, but the user doesn't have to do anything to switch from being connected to disconnected. Mm. So if you take your photos with you on your airplane, you can you know, just view them and you really don't have to worry about where you're connected to. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it's good, it's good thinking. You know, I don't want to walk away from the whole 3D thing in the Fire Phone yet just because there's this idea that every time you pick up your phone, it's looking back at you. Well, yeah, I had a little <laughs> bit of that experience with the latest iPad. And that is, you know, as you sort of move it forward and backwards, it knows based on that, you know, that it's sensor that it's moving forward and backwards and sort of shifts the background, moves the background a little on you. Is that creepy? It's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, the programmer developed that was really excited to oh, make yeah. it. This is so cool. Yeah. Check <laughs> this out. Do you notice anything? No. Look really close. <laughs> and then when you finally notice it, you're like, that's creepy. That's a little weird. Yeah. You've fallen into the... The uncanny valley, maybe? The uncanny valley. Yeah. yeah. You've fallen into the uncanny valley. One of the other things I thought was interesting with that is the, the cameras on the front of the phone have an infrared light so that the phone still operates in the dark. And so I'm wondering what kind of, you know, issues that'll have in that you're, you know, if you take your regular cell phone and you t turn on the camera and then look at your remote control for your TV, you can pick up some of that infrared light. So I'm just wondering if you're open, if you're looking at your Fire Phone at night and somebody else has a camera up, what they're going to see. Mm. Or if maybe they, if they've, they've got the frequency set on that, it's, it's going to be a little different that it can track you like that. It's going to look like a predator. You're going to have little dots all over your face. That's what I wonder. It'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> doesn't mean it isn't creepy. Yeah, stuff operating in the infrared spectrum and, and just sort of playing that game. I wonder if we're going to start talking about infrared pollution at some point. You know, just like when your microwave used to mess with your Wi-Fi. Now we could have the same problem where your TV remote just doesn't work because you out, took out your phone. Hmm. It's a strange space. I just, you know, I guess it's always the same issue we're going to run into, which is these technologies can be used for evil. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. You can make some, re given the capabilities in the, the Fire Phone, you can do some really awful things. Can, can you tell me, uh, has there been any features that you've wanted to implement that the platform has prevented you from implementing? I think our biggest problem is time, but it's not so much that the platform has prevented us from implementing anything. We obviously could have done this a lot faster if we were on the .NET platform, but 
Yeah, I don't know if it had been one hour in Silverlight, but it, it certainly wouldn't have been, you know, a multi-year effort like this has gone with Android. Yeah, and you know, and what did you think about that device? I mean, the Asus Vivo PC, three hundred bucks or five hundred gig drive and four gigs of RAM. That's a lot of. That's a lot. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Computing, I mean, it's amazing to us. I remember when we got, uh, what is it, a 386DX with 30 megs of hard drive space. And it was like, wow, 30 meg, how could you ever fill that up? Yeah. And now, and now I can get a dongle with 32 gig in my pocket, you know? Yeah. It's a different world. It's a little crazy. Well, it makes you wonder when you guys start, start building WinPhone and tablet apps. Well, we're not opposed to it, but. Just need a certain number of units to be out there. Yeah. I think that's probably the reason why there aren't more developers on those platforms is just because there's not a lot of users. Yeah. Boy, I, I got my hands on one of the Surface Pro 3s. He's nice. Really? You like it? It's re- it's almost too light. Wow. Like it's uncomfortably light. Spooky. Hmm. But just a little bit bigger screen, a little more character to it. If they can sell, I think they got to sell a few more of these things and it'd be worth playing with. Hmm. So uh, on the on the Surface Pros, I mean, do you ever see yourself really switching away from a laptop for a Surface Pro? No, but that's because I actually use my laptop on my lap, and that's one thing you can't do with a Pro is use it on your lap. No, I I don't. I don't foresee moving to that for development or anything else. Really, um, the only the thing I would like to use it for is is uh, music notation because I would like to put it on a piano with a, with the stylus, you know, and get a. Avid Sibelius, which is a great music uh, music app, connect it via MIDI to the piano and actually do some writing. I think that would be a great use for it. But um, but yeah, I, I'm with Richard. Yeah, I think the tablets as a whole will always be a complement to the PC, where they're not you're never they're not going to really replace the laptops, but you're just going to have additional additional devices on your desk. So I know mm. um, it, it's not unusual for me to have my my computer and a tablet at my desk, just because checking email may be more efficient on the tablet while I do work on my PC or something like that. And I think we're seeing those extra screens really prop up everywhere. Sure. Plus, it's nice to get it off your email, off your machine, right? Your email and your calendar, just take that off your desktop. I don't want to see that anymore over there. It's nice to put it on the table next to you. I'm also thinking in terms, we may not be all the customers, right? I think there's a certain group of folks that were buying laptops because that's all there was who realized all they needed was a tablet. And so, the, but we're not those people. We were using laptops because we actually needed laptops. Yeah. So you, the figuring out the strata and the customer base is a really interesting part of that. And they, the Fire to me is such an interesting device. I don't particularly want to watch movies or TV that way. I got a bigger screen for that. But, you know, it has, it has a certain appeal. There, I have tablets all over my house now. It's just, they just proliferated. So, in your limited time, Jason and Brian, what, uh, what are you going to do next? After we ship for the Fire TV? Yeah. What's next? I don't know. We might move on to another app. It's hard to say. We talked about doing an RPG task list app, which sounds a little bit ambitious. But A role-playing game task list? Yeah. You combine the role-playing game with a task list. <laughs> All right, that's funny. That is kind of funny. Just, now, now I'm thinking about it like that's the best idea I've ever heard, actually. I'm enjoying that a lot. You could get experience for doing things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to do a damage roll when you don't make your deadline? There, there's, been, there's been other apps that have tried it, but none of them have gotten it quite right yet. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's pretty cool 
All right, guys. So we're coming down to the end of it here. Is there anything we missed or that we didn't cover? I would like to add that 80% of apps or when people search for apps, they're searching for what, for what the app does. So to make sure that when you make an app, make sure that you include what your app does in the title or the description or because if, if they don't search for you, if they search for what your app does and you don't come up near the top, nobody's going to, your app just going to sit there. Yep. Well said. Good thought. Jason, Brian, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And good luck in the future. And we'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 